You're on your journey to find your voice. We're here today with Eric Sauvé, the Chief of Product and UX at Speebly. Eric, welcome to the show. Nice to be here. Thanks, Pat. I was chatting with Chris a little bit, the, the CTO last week, and he sent me a video of you talking to an Apple Watch, and it was this demo where you were recording your heart rate. Um, what, what was that demo about? Was that, was that something new? Yeah, so, uh, so that demo was basically what it is that we do, which is we bring kind of voice interaction to Apple Watch. Uh, so the demo was um, uh, me uh, adding my blood pressure reading to uh, Apple Health. So that's what the demo was. And so Apple, you're saying, is just like one segment of Speebly. For, for people that aren't already aware, what would you say Speebly is doing? What is, uh, what's like the elevator pitch for Speebly? Yeah, so I think our core competency is is really around. So we've done, you know, we definitely have done, uh, you know, custom smart speaker apps and, you know, with uh, authenticated apps and these sorts of things like business to business apps. And and so we've done those types of things. Um, we've we did a gamut with uh, the Raspberry Pi as well, uh, but uh, won't go into that. Um, so, but I think where we're seeing kind of the most interest in what it is that we're doing is really bringing voice to this, you know, this small, you know, this, this small device on my wrist here, uh, Apple watch, hmm. um, you know, cause, uh, you know, it's been interesting working on those other platforms, yeah. uh, but I have to say, you know, part of, I think what drives voice adoption is that you can't, there's nothing to see or you can't type. Right. So, um, you know, so for example, if you're looking at voice, you know, in even in like an echo show or anything with the screen, you know, people will often default to looking and touching. Right. Uh, and so uh, so that's why the standalone speaker, I think, has had uh, the traction with uh, the voice apps. But I also think that um, devices like Apple Watch, that there's just no practical way that that, that people can type on it. <laughs> or any do any meaningful data input into it, right? Uh, yet the, the computing power is so strong, right? So I think that's from my perspective. I've been like, ooh, I can't wait till Siri opens up a kit so that I can build stuff for the Siri and for the iOS devices. But it seems like you guys didn't wait for them to open up a kit. It's like, how, how were you guys able to be, get integrated with these devices? Is there does Apple have a kit to build into the Apple Watch and into the Siri kit? Yeah, so so Apple is a little bit different than how uh, the uh, Google Home and Amazon Alexa have been rolled out. Uh, so those ones were really targeted towards kind of new voice app developers, uh, kind of building building stuff um, for those smart speakers. Uh, but Apple has had an ecosystem of developers, you know, since the iPhone came out. I can't even remember when that was, but it was like a long time ago, right? So um, so there for them you know, their developers are the people who have apps on the phone, uh, who have apps on the watch. Um, so, you know, Siri has done some opening up, uh, but it's all been geared towards Apple developers, right? To adding value to Apple apps. So there's things called Siri extensions. Um, there's, you know, so if I was to give you a kind of a demo of our app, you know, you'd see that I could use Siri to start this, um, this kind of seamless voice conversation, um, you wouldn't know that necessarily that you're, you're using a separate app, um, but that's, that's what you're doing. Um, and I think it's just a function of what Apple's ecosystem is like. Um, I'd be surprised if, 
if Apple uh, opened up um, to developers the same way that 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 um, that Amazon uh, and Google have, um, because they've got all these app developers, right? You know, they don't want to hmm. create competition for those people that have com- committed to being on their hmm. platform. Interesting. So you don't think you don't think they'll open up. You think that their whole play is we've already built a strong community of developers. Why, why mess with something that's not broken and try to disrupt our developer pool? I think so. I, I, you know, it's difficult to know if that's exactly what's going to happen, but um, you know, they want like Apple isn't, isn't, isn't Apple home or whatever they call it. HomePod, right? Apple is primarily phones, Mac, uh, watches and just a little itty bitty bit of uh, HomePod, hmm. right? Yes. Uh, so, so they're really thinking about huh. how can we make uh, life better for those people who have those app developers that are committed to the phone, to the watch. Uh, so I think the innovations that are going to happen around Siri and that have happened in the last two releases um, basically make it so that you can have more value, you can add more value, you can have more access to Siri uh, um, um, users if you're on those devices. So I think it's going to stay app-centric for, for Apple just, just for that reason. I'm curious, why Apple? Like, what, what are your thoughts on the Apple ecosystem as compared to Google and Amazon? There's a lot of people are narrowing down on the Alexa side, other people Google. Some I'm talking to Chad Oda tomorrow who's focusing on the Microsoft stack. Yeah. I think Speebly is the first company I'm talking to that's really, it seems like, focusing on the Apple ecosystem. Why yeah. do you think that's important for voice? Like, why, why is this the niche? Yeah, well, I think it's the niche because uh, there's, uh, there's 50 million plus watches out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a simple kind of story, right? Like, there's not a lot of complexity to why we focused on it, which is uh, there's 50 million watches. Uh, they're high value customers. Um, there's basically no screen on it. Uh, and there's a mic and a speaker. Like, uh, it's the best possible scenario, mm. I think, that, that a voice developer could face uh, is, uh, is, that, is that type of market. Hmm. Um, what were those numbers again around the Apple Watch? Because I think those are really important and I missed it the first couple times you said it. Yeah, so, so he, there's a, here's a couple of uh, interesting little, little facts. Okay, so there was a uh, report put out by Edison, uh, I think a couple of days ago. I think most people saw that and everyone's like, oh, you know, commenting on, on uh, you know, 24% of U.S. households have a smart speaker. Well, you know, uh, one of the things I think that is, should be useful and to think about in the voice space is, act, is more than 50 have access to voice on their smartphone, Right. So mm-hmm. if we think that the traction for voice is good in a speaker, it's double on, on the Apple smartphone, <laughs> right? Okay. Because they just have so many of them out there, right? So the traction for voice in that ecosystem is much higher than on a speaker. Um, uh, and then, so a couple of other things like, so we focused mostly on watch, although we have an SDK that, that developers can integrate into their apps uh, to create a voice experience. Uh, you know, so, so we're working with companies that, that want to add voice cap- capability to like a driver delivery app as for example, so that when people are driving that they don't take their hands off the wheel to, to interact with their enterprise data. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, the, I think the, the watch is, is, is interesting because yeah, 50 million people, um, 
uh, installed uh, or plus 50 million plus users. Apple owns the smartwatch space. So they own more than 50% of all the smartwatch purchases. Over 50%? Um, over 50%. So it's massive. Um, it's also uh, something that is really uh, integrated into people's lives, right? So, so like people check their watches 80 times a day. Okay, they check their watches for 80, 80 times a day. So this is a device that is really in, in people's lives, right? And so it creates all these interesting opportunities. Um, and I'll get, I'll get to one that we're working on uh, in a second. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and then back to the fact that there's just no, there's, there's no screen uh, and there's a speaker and a mic. So it makes it pretty easy, you know, like, uh, um, yeah. Like and, and I want to talk about this more later, but it, it feels like you've really latched onto this wave of ambient computing. Mm-hmm. Like people already have bought into the Apple ecosystem. They're already comfortable yeah. surrounding themselves with these devices. They're checking their 80 times a day. They're checking their watches. Yeah. Not many people are talking about these numbers and capabilities in terms of Siri and, and the Apple watch. So this is, this is what you guys are doing with Speebly is super interesting. So you were going to talk about a use case that you guys are building yeah, so so like uh, so one thing about the the uh, one of the other things on the watch are that um, it's uh, it's a um, uh, like it's it's always on people, right? Mm-hmm. So as a result, there are certain use cases mm-hmm. that work really well, right? So so one of them uh, that uh, that we're working on uh, is a um, is a hand washing app, right? So so that's just a simple example. Um, and there's a couple of things that makes that cool. One is that no one washes their hands with their phone on them, mm-hmm. right? Because it'll get wet. Mm-hmm. Uh, people wash their hands with their watch. Uh, and uh, the watch has a, an accelerometer in it. So you can tell when they started and stopped washing their hands. Mm. And you can tell them to keep washing if they've stopped it. Whoa. <laughs> And do you, as a third-party developer, have access to that accelerometer data? Yeah, exactly. Whoa. So, so that's one kind of simple example, um, but it also extends to, uh, you know, other other examples around. Um, so you know when people, you know, have fallen and they can't get up, right? You know when people are, you know, you know. There's a whole bunch of things that you can tell. Uh, and also, uh, you can save a lot of those things to Apple Health, right? So one of the big drivers for uh, people to buy these these watches are uh, people who care about their health, right? So they're, you know, there's 40 people, uh, but they're also people who are kind of tracking their health in one way or another, and they're using Apple Health to kind of catalog all that stuff and then send spreadsheets to their doctors. Um, so there's also a whole bunch of really interesting use cases around that because voice... Um, is really good for certain demographics, you know, that, you know, that, uh, you know, maybe it's more difficult to type or it's more tedious to type. Um, so anyway, so there's a whole bunch of really interesting, uh, use cases in health, uh, that we can, um, that we can use the sensors in, uh, well, we can, you know, that we can just use, get people to talk, to interact with it, but we can leverage the sensors and we can make those experiences a lot easier. Hmm. Like the, the next, the, the current version of, of the Apple watch also has like an electrocardiogram on it. Um, and it's going to come out with, I'm sure um, like blood oxidation, oxidation level 
you know, which is kind of a COVID story because that's one of the ways that people know uh, whether or not uh, mm. they might be at risk of, mm. um, of serious disease with COVID when their, their oxygen levels uh, drop low. Um, you know, Speaking of, so one of the things after COVID-19, after this pandemic, mm-hmm. you're talking blood oxidation level, going to be a more important stat to track. Yeah. For the rest of kind of the world, there's going to be a big shift in this post-pandemic world, how do you think voice is going to change in terms of relevance to business owners? Do you think, do you think it'll change at all in terms of the strategy or importance voice will play in business owners' minds? Um, I think one of the things that, uh, the way that we look at it uh, is that, uh, you know, COVID will try and, you know, will push people to a more touchless world. Okay. And, and that, um, that has kind of different, um, it's different for different devices. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for sure, one of the things, I don't know if you've kind of been in this scenario, but uh, so when you go shopping, right? Like the whole thing is don't touch anything. And if you touch it, don't touch your face, right? right. So, oh, but what happens, you know, if you need to access your phone for something? So now you've got COVID all over your phone, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, so I, you know, so I think that's one of the things as well, uh, you know, that, you know, I think where the watch is particularly interesting and voice on the watch is particularly interesting is that you can kind of do kind of uh, certain interactions with it uh, using your voice and you don't have to touch it, right? You don't have to pull it out of your pocket. You don't have to look at it. You don't have to swipe it. You don't have to tap it a bunch of times. Um, and, uh, you know, perhaps you could do that on the um, uh, the phone, but you still have to pull it out of your pocket and hold it to your face, right? right. Whereas yeah. your watch is already on your wrist, you can just hold it up, uh, and so it doesn't involve any touching, hmm. right? So, so I think that I think that's um, that's one of the implications. Hmm. Uh, so, from a consumer yeah. perspective, they're wearing it on their wrist. You can pay with it. You can do a lot with it. Yeah. Less touching things to your face, going from your hands, the outside yeah. world germs into your body. What about yeah. from like a business use case perspective in terms of like an Aldi who is seeing on the other side, like the consumer being able to touch the watch, but what about from the business owner's perspective? Yeah. So, I, I mean, we're, uh, as, as, as you said, like we're watch focused. So um, it's, it's hard to know, like, uh, so let's say, so we've got watch and iPhone. So I think, I think, okay, well, so is, is the, um, is having a voice interface for a, uh, a phone app going to be more in demand after COVID? Yeah, probably. Um, you know, from a business perspective, I, I still think, I think from a business perspective, uh, like you, when you say that, you say like employees, right? Is that what you're talking about? Like uh, enterprise use cases? Um, pretty open. I'm I'm curious in my, I'm currently thinking, let me ask another question. Is Speebly focused mostly on B2C, like creating applications and products directly for consumers on their watch or are you guys targeted B2B? Yeah, Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're doing both. So, so what we want to, uh, to do is kind of have this platform where anyone who kind of has, uh, knowledge, uh, and expertise in conversational design, uh, and an interest in conversational design can make their, uh, their app available uh, on watch or or iOS um, on the phone. Um, so uh, so that's not that's not just consumer. It's also business. Mm. Um, 
So for the example I gave you before around, you know, kind of like a driver app, you know, uh, where people want to be able to talk to their enterprise data without taking their hands or their eyes off the wheel. So I kind of feel like that's still going to be the case. Um, so I'm not really sure. I think from an enterprise perspective, I kind of feel like my gut is that it's not going to change very much, but I think from a consumer perspective, it's going to change a ton. Like it's, you know, people are going to be like, okay, how do I get in and out of this place and get in and out of my transactions without putting myself personally at risk? You know, I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be kind of more of the story. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and so the implications for that are, you know, just businesses are going to have to kind of compete on how safe people feel in their environments. You know, if it's not, if it's a non-digital environment, you know, but if you have a choice between two stores you go to, one that seems to do a really good job at, at keeping people safe and the other one that doesn't, you know, I think that's going to be kind of one of the vectors of competition that's going to, that's going to crop up. And your team is based out of Canada, right? Yeah. Is it the Montreal area? Uh, yeah, kind of. We're about two hours from Montreal. We're in Ottawa, which is the capital city of uh, Canada. How has the response been from this pandemic in Canada as opposed to the United States? Like, I don't, I drive around when I do, when I do leave my house to go yeah. get groceries. I see how Ohio acts because I'm based out of Columbus, Ohio, and I hear from my right. friends a lot yeah. of the US, yeah. but I feel like I'm pretty blind to kind of other countries. So I'm, I'm just curious, what is the, how has the day-to-day -day reaction been from this pandemic? Are you guys still on lockdown on May, Cinco de Mayo, May 5th? Yeah, we're super locked down, <laughs> you know, on May the 4th be with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, Cinco de Mayo. Uh, so our schools are going to be closed for, uh, you know, till the end of May. Um, I think everything's going to be closed for a while over here. I, Canadians are maybe a little bit more conservative than, uh, than Americans. Uh, and so, uh, there isn't this, you know, we haven't yet had any rallies of people like deciding that they want to open things up. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so yeah, I, I think Canada will probably end up having a more conservative approach to it. Like we haven't even approved, like, so Canada is one of the places that sells those tests that are being used in America to see if you have COVID. Oh, uh, uh, and the Canadian government won't let them be sold in Canada uh, because the government and that company say that they're only reliable 50% of the time. Uh, so they don't want, they don't want to, uh, you know, they don't want people to, to get the test. Oh, wow. Think, you know, think that they had it or don't have it. Uh, and one out of two times it's wrong uh, and then act accordingly. So that's so such it, an interesting perspective. Yes. So we that's what I did. Like, yes, we have tests. These are awesome. And I know, I know. So they're all being sold to America. <laughs> and meanwhile, the CEO of this company is saying, okay, well, we'll make a Canadian version that'll be more dependable by, uh, you know, sometime in the summer. Uh, okay. So at least they're working on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I think you guys we'll be, are uh, the second voice company I've talked to out of Canada. I'm thinking oh, cool. real quick. The, the only other one has been uh, Dr. Terry Fisher. If you're familiar oh, yeah. with The yeah, Voice yeah. in Canada. I've heard of that guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got to see him at Project Voice, but you guys are the second company. How How is voice adoption? How's the ecosystem been for voice in Canada? Um, would you say that it's very welcome there? Are people willing to adopt these voice technologies? Or like a lot of the people I to talk to, they're, they're, they have a lot of privacy concerns or 
honestly a lot of privacy concerns around voice. Do those same concerns exist or is the adoption different in Canada? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's probably the same. I mean, people are concerned um, uh, about privacy uh, until the, the convenience factor overrides it, you know? Mm. Uh, so, uh, so as long as it's convenient enough, then people don't really care. I don't think. Um, people are concerned yeah. about privacy until the convenience factor override surpasses it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. It's kind of like Facebook, you know, it's like, yeah, we don't like the privacy, but it's kind of the only way that we can talk to our friends. So whatever. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I kind of feel like, um, I feel like that's, that's the case. And, and so when we've worked with uh, companies that we've um, kind of built apps for them that serve their customers, um, you know, I think that's kind of the same attitude. I actually, um, uh, there's a, even an, an insurance company out of Germany, which we started working with hmm. that is, um, you know, where, you know, as far as I knew, the rules were tighter over there, mm-hmm. you know, they were kind of okay. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. I think it's kind of similar. I don't think they're, um, I don't think people are super concerned about it. And I think Canada is, uh, uh, is a big market for it. Uh, I don't know how many, uh, smart speakers have been sold in, in Canada, but, uh, I'm sure it's a lot. Are there a lot of voice companies sprouting up out of Canada or would you say that they're, you guys are one of the few Speedly is one of the few. I think we're one of the few dedicated voice companies um, or actually primarily dedicated voice companies. Um, there are voice developers for sure. Like people who make games and that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> but um, yeah, so there's not, there's not too many, you know, we work with other companies that, uh, that have, uh, you know, like, let's say that are app developers or, you know, provide certain strategic services and, and they want, uh, you know, voice support for whatever app they're building or whatever interaction they're trying to do. Um, so, um, so that's what we see mostly is that there's firms that are kind of providing digital services to XYZ company or, or XYZ use case. Uh, and then, and then we'll be brought in to kind of support that, to say, okay, hey, can you make it so that um, that the um, you know the thermostat that we're building can talk, right? And then we'll say, sure, we'd love to do that. <laughs> this next part, I've been most excited to talk to you about of yeah. multimodality. Yeah. When when Chris first messaged me, I I checked out Speebly and I got to see web kiosks, IoT devices, smart speakers. Apple watch. It's like y'all have really embraced this internet of things, ambient computing, multimodality wave. And I'm curious of your philosophy around that. Um, one, you're familiar with the term multimodality. Yeah. 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 What do you think the importance is of multimodality and voice? Like, why is it important? Yeah. Well, it's because people primarily are visual processors. Um, you know, people are primarily visual beings. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, I was thinking about this, this, uh, you know, even just a, uh, a week or two weeks ago, and this is kind of maybe one of the questions that, that I would pose to anyone who is kind of watching this is to say, you know, do, do you think that in two years, there's going to be a smart speaker without a screen? Uh, 
And so my answer is, I don't know. You know, I think it's a reasonable question to assume, or it's a reasonable thing to assume that, you know, most of, so there's going to be, let's say, um, you know, maybe ones that are kind of plugged into the wall somewhere or whatever that are maybe kind of secondary devices, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, just listening devices. Uh, but I think the primary ones like in the kitchen or in the bedroom, you know, where people are using them most today, you know, I think they're going to have screens on them. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, fe- I, I feel like multimodality is kind of the only way in voice. Right. So I, I think for people to, you know, so I think as, as voice developers, we need to think about, well, what is voice anyways? Right. And how can voice add value uh, to uh, to the interactions that we currently have? Uh, you know, with whatever devices uh, we have. And so, uh, so I think it's all just going to be one big conversational AI pile on, right? That where voice is going to be one component of it, uh, but certainly visuals are going to be critical. Um, like I would never think of developing, uh, you know, even with an Apple watch where the screen mm-hmm. is 38 millimeters, right? Super small. I would never develop anything without, um, click actions, right? Like I just wouldn't clicking the buttons on it. Yeah. Yeah. Because people click buttons. They want to, they want to click the buttons. Right. And, and so give someone a is, button and he shall click it. Yeah. And you know what, if they don't want to click it, fine, don't click it. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, so, so one of the things that we do, uh, on our watch apps is we leverage uh, what are called uh, quick replies in the Facebook messenger world. uh, And they're called suggestion chips in the Google assistant world. Um, And I think those are super powerful, right? Because uh, people, uh, you know, if you're having uh, uh, an end user conversation that involves more than just the app opening and something happening, right? Like more than just the app opening and a song plays or whatever, uh, but you actually have to interact with the end user. Uh, you know, those suggestion chips, uh, you know, those little buttons that tell people what they can say, I think are super instructive for a user to know how to operate uh, that particular app, right? So if it's, if you say, uh, you know, um, you know, what do you want to know, you know, the temperature inside or outside, right? So you can say that, but people may be distracted, there might be noises, um, they might not just be paying attention. uh, And, and let's say they don't get to say it in time, even having those two little suggestion chips on the bottom, which are basically just text buttons. So it's just conversational AI uh, that they can just click on those uh, to make up for the fact that they're maybe not fully engaged in the conversation, I think is, uh, is the way to go. You know, I mean, especially on a watch and on a phone where you got to you have to take distraction user end user distraction has to be a base assumption for any of your users. You have to assume that your user is doing like three other things. There's someone screaming in the background. Uh, you know, maybe they're at a stoplight. You just have to assume that that level of user distraction. And then that's where I think the multimodal really comes into its own, you know. Um, yeah. We've got to account for the end user distraction that the end user will be called to multiple different points of stimuli. And you guys have obviously yeah. prioritized this watch as yeah. a, you think it's gonna be a killer modality. Yeah. I'm curious of like if you can give the top three out of modalities you find important in terms of we've got things like smart speakers, very obvious, watch, car, um, um, 
what are some other use cases or applications in the kitchen and in the thank you in the phone. Yeah. Yeah. So like out of all the modalities, where do you see voice being the most critical outside of obviously this, I think you've sold, you've definitely sold me on the importance of voice (laughs) in the watch. Yeah. No point in talking about that any further. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of, you know, by the numbers, I think the next one is, the, is you know, if you just pick the highest number of users, the next one down is the phone, uh, you know, and then if you cut that in half, it's the, it's the smart speakers. Uh, but I think that the smart speakers, I think there's going to be this change in smart speakers where it's going to be multimodality, right? Like if you go to, um, like if you go to the uh, Google, uh, Google Nest Pro Max site, whatever. I'm not sure if that's the exact name, but it's the Nest Max Hub. Right. Because their naming is super crazy. Right. Um, They have to change it every once in a while. Yeah. But they'd like, it's kind of the weirdest naming I've ever seen Apple do or ever seen Google do. Um, But when they, they, they uh, show you the, um, the, the, the speaker with the screen. So that's the Nest Hub Max, I think. Um, They're primarily selling it as like, an inter- interactive uh, picture frame, mm-hmm. you know? And, yep. and so I think that speaks volumes, you know, to how people see um, these, uh, these voice interactions fitting in their daily lives, right? So, you know, so, um, so to me, it's not about, um, you know, how can, you know, do we have these kind of voice-only interactions, but it's more like, how can we take, these small screens and make them more interactive and immersive, right? You know, so you see like um, you see pictures going by and you hear your children laughing, right? Uh, you know, these, these different kind of experiences that I think are voice and audio first uh, where, because the voice developer has kind of come out of this sound kind of environment um, that, um, Anyway, so, yeah, so I think, so I would say phone, um, phone is the top because it's got most of the users. The next one is uh, smart speakers with screens on them. Uh, and then, and then I don't know what's after that. And then after that, Apple it's watch. probably, well, yeah, so I get to put that one at the top, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, Apple Watch is emerging because obviously there isn't, you know, whatever a billion users of it, like there are Apple iPhones, right? So it's more of an emergent, uh, it's more an emergent thing, but. Uh, I've been noticing the, when I set up my Nest Hub the other day, I, I was resetting it to test for one of our clients. And yeah. when I set it up, it said way more than just an interactive picture frame. And that, yeah. that really caught my attention. And I was like, huh, yeah. this, it's, it, it feels to me like we're trying to make things more usable. I'm sorry we're trying to make the story or the metaphor around the design more something that people are already used to almost in the way that the first cars resembled the shape of a carriage because, Oh, I already know where the carriage is. You don't have to tell me that it's driven by a motor. I just, I just know that I want to put my pictures on something. Oh, and I can talk to it too. Okay. Well now let's start to explore. Like, do you you think that that's that's kind of why they're doing it? hundred percent. I think the official term for that is skeuomorphism or whatever. I think that's the, that's the official UX term uh, for it uh, is that, um, you know, that one of the basic principles of UX design is to make things mimic real life. Hmm. Yeah. I've been very recently focusing on um, 
the, 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 the voice as a storytelling component. And I feel like you as chief of product and user experience, I'm a techie. My background mm-hmm. is in coding and engineering. Right. I feel like you, you have a better understanding of how people think. And I'm curious of your thoughts on the power of voice, not necessarily the technology, as a, as a method of taking the randomly firing neurons in our head and manifesting those thoughts out loud, like, do you see power in the voice on its own from a strictly like humanistic perspective? Is there any user experience insight or am I getting way out of bounds here in terms of your comfortability? <laughs> no, no, it's all good. And I've definitely thought about that uh, quite a bit, actually. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think the, I think it's, you know, if I was to rename the space, uh, it would be less about voice and it would be more about sound. Right. Um, and, and so, and whether it's uh, responding to voices or sounds or saying voices like speaking, um, I think that's really what voice is. It's an auditory experience. Right. And, and so, yeah, it's super powerful. Like, I mean, would you ever go to see a movie that had no soundtrack? Right. And, and I think that's basically where, you know, you know, voice, you know, if I, if you look at it more broadly, which is how I look at it, um, you know, like, uh, you know, apps, interactions, devices are way more immersive when they make noises. Um, and so that's Going kind of into experience. It's like before you're designing kind of emotions around user experience, like if we use this color scheme, it's going to create a different experience yeah. than this color scheme. And, but now especially me, I'm someone that gets very excited and you'll hear my words start to pick up and you'll hear me talk yeah. faster and faster. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I, I know that by speaking faster, I'm conveying that emotion to the listener. I know that you watching yeah. this, your yeah. heart rate picked up just a little bit because yeah. of that delivery. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. Do you have any insights on how people can be mindful when, when creating these audio, let's not call it voice, these audio experiences, um, some kind of like, I don't know, any tools in your belt that you could bring out in terms of how people can be more mindful of using audio and, and creating audio experiences? Yeah, well, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I've got a whole list of them. Um, uh, but I think, I think the, the kind of most useful thing is, is, is just to, yeah, it's just to think about it as a whole audio experience, not just voice. Um, and some of that really shows through when, like if you look at, so I recently did um, uh, kind of a study on the top apps uh, of um, <laughs> a little bit of audio in my house um, on on the top uh, top voice apps in uh, in the Alexa store. So I went and I counted all the apps that had all the ratings, uh, and mm-hmm. I took the top ones uh, and I try and I I went through them all to see what kind of experiences they had that drove those high ratings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it was a really, it was a really interesting, it was a really interesting experience, right? Like, uh, you know, to kind of go through that and all the lessons learned around it. Um, and, you know, some of the voice apps, you know, we talk about it as a, as a voice, um, as a, as a, you know, kind of a voice market, uh, but there's a lot of apps out there that um, are top rated apps that for all intents and purposes don't have any voice interaction. You know, they're just, hey, Alexa, open up 
XYZ app and it just starts playing whatever that app does. Right? So sleep sounds, ambient noises. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to, to think, okay, well, if there's actually no real interaction on behalf of the user other than waking the app, then what is voice anyways? Hmm. Right. And I think the answer, I think the answer to that is it's a, um, it's an, it's an audio experience, right? That's why it's interesting. That's why people like it. Um, Do you think this is a temporary thing for Alexa? Because some of our clients have had us build these and we're seeing these sleep sound ambient noises getting thousands of users a day. And it's like, whoa, when some of other, our other clients are building out like full conversations, like you're talking about back and forth, turn-based and doing voiceover. But then like the simple ones are getting thousands of users. Do you think it's a temporary thing because these are so simple, they're successful. Like the Zippo lighters on the iPhone or the shotgun on the iPhone, they were super simple apps, didn't do anything, but like, I played with those back in 2009, 2010. And, yeah. But eventually, now I'm doing my banking on my phone after playing with those simple apps. Do you think it's a similar trend or do you think like there's a bigger signal that we need to see when it comes to the success of these ambient noises and sleep sounds and very simple non-conversational audio experiences? Well, um, I think it's really difficult to support complex interactions with voice only. Um, just because it's difficult for the user to know what their options are. You know, so if your app can do 10 things, it, you know, it's, uh, it's hard for them to know that that's true, right? Unless they kind of read the app page or something like that. So, so I think how, how it needs to happen is that, is that these, uh, that apps that, that want to provide kind of a more rich experience, they need, it needs to be like an evolutionary experience for the end user, much like what you were talking about, um, about how, you know, you now want to use banking on your phone, uh, but you maybe you didn't want to do that in the beginning because the screen only had 144 characters on it. Um, so, so, so this is, I think one of the lessons, which is, you know, when, uh, you know, people want to try and drive a higher level of engagement with their app, whether it's through them paying for it, like a subscription or, them using other features, right? There has to be this kind of like um, almost like a farming approach to, to, uh, to end user management, you know, like you kind of get them in with something that's simple that they can use all the time, really easy. uh, And then you slowly start introducing things that make the experience more broad, more rich, that serve other values that they might, they might have. Right. So, but I, you know, having said that, I think that's the, uh, that's probably the rule of thumb for any app or any website or anything that people want to try and convince people of, you know, the base value proposition has to be like super dumb and super simple. You know, don't make me think is the, you know, the quote unquote. Uh, And, uh, and then there's that evolution. So I think it'll just follow the same path as all the other kind of interaction modes. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's anything particularly different about it. It'll grow with the user. Start off simple. Don't make, don't make me think. And then slowly teach like educating, do you think educating the user is an essential part of that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. So it's like, um, so, so one of the things that we're working on is a, uh, is a blood pressure app, right? Uh, so it's an app that saves blood pressure readings to Apple health. Uh, so there's a lot of things you could do with that, right? Like end users could do a lot of things, uh, and like they might want to hear about their last three readings, you know, they might want to, you know, they might want to do a few other things. Right. And so, 
But the basic thing is you want to, they want to be able to save 10 uh, clicks and swipes of having to put it into Apple Health. Because mm-hmm. that's kind of a bummer and my fingers are really small and whatever, you know. So, uh, and it's not as simple as, you know, something that is maybe like one of the things that's actually really interesting about voice is that it can take things and make them uh, uh, more simple by virtue of creating steps that a conversational flow would have. So, you know, there's a company that is really, um, you know, I wish I could remember the name of the company, but, you know, so we've had sign up forms since the beginning of the internet, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's one company that uh, I think they just emerged like a year ago uh, that made it so that you, you would sign up in multiple steps instead of just one sign-in form and the screens would transition super nicely between them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're used by tons of people. And I actually use them to on this one app that I built for, um, uh, you know, for this game that, that I had made for my friends. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I think there is value in, in, uh, in just making things even more simple than they are now. And I think conversational uh, approaches do a really good job at letting people follow a path, a workflow, simple workflows, you know? So if I want to upload my blood pressure, yeah, sure. I, you know, I could go and do 10 clicks and swipes and get into Apple health and put it in there and then type it in. Or I could have this experience where I just say, um, you know, uh, you know, Hey Siri, open, open blood pressure. And then, It gives me three easy screens. I don't have to type at all. And then I'm done. Right. And it maybe it gives me some kind of, you know, celebratory, you did it at the end, (laughs) you know? So, uh, so I think there's potential for that, that kind of stuff too, um, in the voice space of, you know, that might also be just voice and conversational, uh, space, just making things simple, just really simple, you know, small targeted, uh, uh, services, uh, that just make it easier for people. What's next for Speebly? I love what you guys are doing right now with the Apple Watch. What what can people expect coming out of Speebly for the rest of 2020? Yeah, so what we want to do is we want to find um, uh, so innovative, uh, you know, voice studio developers or conversational developers um, to basically for us to package their apps and and them to find new marketplaces. So, so we've got, um, so one of the things that's great about the app, uh, the Apple app store is, uh, that monetization is really built into it. Right. And, uh, Apple has just nailed subscriptions, at least in, from my personal view, they've really nailed, uh, selling subscriptions, uh, in the app store. So, so what we want to do is we want to have a, uh, a roster of, you know, however many, uh, however many kind of voice developers, that have kind of their Google actions uh, or dialogue flow. And they want to bring that kind of experience into the, vo- into, into the watch. Uh, and then we just pump it out. Uh, you know, we do uh, some rev share with them, but we basically allow them to access a new market with the skills that they already have, which is, you know, develop conversation. Uh, and they don't have to know a line of uh, Swift UI code. Hmm. Yeah. Wow, that sounds amazing. So for developers that are watching this that want to start getting connected with Speebly to be a part of this partnership, what's yeah. the best way for them to start getting connected? One with Speebly, we'll start with that. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just the, the sign up forms are all on our website. Just, you know, I would just say reach out to me. I mean, it's kind of a new space, right? So there's, uh, uh, it helps if you have a watch, right? That's one of the things that, uh, you know, because it is, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you really have to know how the watch works to develop a good experience for it. Um, but, uh, but we, we understand that it's a new thing, right? So we're prepared to work with people who are at any stage in that exploring the watch. Um, but yeah, I, I would, you know, so just, you know, reach out to me, go to our website, sign, use the sign in form, sign up forms. Uh, but the main, the main message I think is, um, if you know how to build a voice agent, uh, you know, for, for, uh, for Alexa or Google actions, you can basically apply that same skill and we'll take care of the rest. Uh, and, you know, because so, for us, for our app, we just package it up and then we can pump out a new app. Um, and, uh, you know, so if we had, you know, 50 or 100 of those uh, people hunting for uh, uh, subscription revenue on the Apple Watch, you know, with, you know, then uh, I think that would be that would be an exciting place for us to be. So for people that want to reach out to you, uh, there's going to be on a lot of platforms. So what's the best platform for people to connect with you on and, and what is what should they type into that platform to, to get connected? Uh, yeah, so. Uh, let's see. What's the best uh, way to get a hold of me? Uh, I would say. I mean, this is pretty old-fashioned, but I'm just going to say my email out loud. Pens <laughs> and papers ready, everybody. Okay. Okay. So e r i c dot s a u b e at speedly dot com, and so speedly is s p e e b l y, um, and you can also run a search for my name. I'm basic. I'm on all the regular platforms that everyone is on. So anyone can send me a message and, and, uh, and, you know, get a hold of me that way. And we are looking for at this early stage of this kind of market, we are looking for partners, kind of like a design studio kind of partners. Uh, you know, people who want to spend time thinking about how these apps would work um, and how they could gamify toothbrushing, you know, on a, on a watch. Um, and, uh, and then, so what we want to do is basically provide that supporting platform so that they can get, you know, just like Alexa, you know, provides, you know, their, um, you know, their, their whole, their whole Alexa platform so that people don't have to, you know, code directly for the speaker. They just, you know, whatever, use a JSON file or they can use their web interface. I like saying the biggest takeaway from podcast guests and from you, my biggest takeaway is how applicable the watch is as an interface for voice for audio interactions, especially in this heightened awareness of touch-free technology. Yeah. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and I'd like to give you the opportunity to kind of send us off for the rest of the day. Do you have any final intentions or words to kind of put out to our listeners before we uh, end this podcast? Uh, stay safe. That's it. Stay safe. Enjoy, enjoy what you have, even if it's at home. Uh, and, uh, you know, take one day at a time. Thanks all for the good. call, Eric. Yeah, right. Take it easy. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Your Voice First podcast. If you'd like to learn more, find us on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and every other social platform at Voice First AI.
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Your Voice First Podcast. If you'd like to learn more, find us on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and every other social platform at Voice First AI.